How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, didn't do much this weekend. Mostly just made a roast. Didn't watch the All-Star game. Heard it was crap. Yeah, I didn't watch the All-Star game either, but from what I was hearing on Twitter and social media, yeah, it wasn't a very good one. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be talking a bit about that a little later on. For sure, man, for sure. Now, before we go any further in this episode, Tim, the sports world was rocked yesterday morning with the sad and tragic news of the passing of former L.A. Laker Kobe Bryant, who had tragically died in a helicopter crash in California at the age of 41. Now, given all the response and everything I've seen on social media about it, I, I feel it's appropriate to take a few minutes here to talk about Kobe because... I think it's safe to say, Tim, that there isn't too many athletes that transcend their sport, the league, and just sports in general, like the way Kobe Bryant did in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's frankly incredible, just the broad base of response that uh, came out when Kobe passed just from pretty much, seems almost every angle of society, and seeing it across cultures, too, it's amazing how many lives Black Mamba managed to improve through the power of sport. It is true. It is true. And I mean, we could always go, we could talk about the social impact he's made through his career in the NBA, but talking about his NBA career, I did bring up a few things I do want to mention. Of course, he was a five-time NBA champion, two-time NBA finals MVP an NBA MVP in 2008, an 18-time NBA All-Star, two-time scoring champion, the winner of the 1997 Slam Dunk competition, and of course, both of his numbers, number 8 and number 24, were retired by the Lakers. And I actually felt it was very, very fitting, and I actually got to tip my hat to the Grammy Awards last night because the Grammy Awards were in the Staples Center, and the whole show, they had a spotlight shown on his retired numbers. Yeah, and I think part of the tragedy is just how sudden it was, and uh, his daughter Gianna passed with him. Just, it's an incredible amount of tragedy for someone who's done a hell of a lot of good for the world. Absolutely. Now, given... and was one of the probably one of the goats. Like LeBron just passed his all-time points to move into fourth. And it's fitting that the last tweet Kobe ever sent out was him congratulating LeBron on moving into number two in the all-time scoring list. Yeah. You know, I have to say, these past 24 hours, when thinking about Kobe Bryant, and given that you and I were not basketball fans growing up, and we were mostly hockey fans, but like I said, Kobe is one of these players that transcended the game of basketball, the same way that Michael Jordan did, LeBron James does, and speaking about hockey, like Wayne Gretzky did that, Tiger Woods did that for golf, but Kobe is one of these guys, if I could sum up his whole career in one word, it had to be tumultuous. Because when you go back and look at his career and you notice you see all the support and everything Kobe Bryant is given today, this was not always the case with him. And I think because you look back at his career, when he first came in, he was this young, cocky, 18-year-old kid that rubbed everybody the wrong way, was a ball hawk, took too many shots, shot comes into the picture in L.A., they go on, they win all their titles, they have the falling out, the rape allegation comes out against him, and then they go a number of years where... Like I said, Shaq and Kobe was a thing. 
Shaq then goes to Miami, and for a couple of years, it didn't seem like Kobe was going to be able to win a championship for L.A. until he finally did it in 2008. And again, no, sorry, 2009 and 2010, back-to-back. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, though, the same way that having kind of a hotshot young kid, isn't that kind of the perfect player for L.A., though? It is. It, it is, but the funny thing is, is, like, you know, you talk about Kobe, and he's one of these players that... He was not perfect when he came into the NBA. And everybody talks about what a great player LeBron James was when he first arrived in the NBA, which he was. But Kobe is one of these guys where he was not as polished as LeBron is at 18 years old. And given that, you know, you, you look at Kobe at 18, he was so skinny. And you're just like, I don't know if this guy is going to be able to survive in the NBA. Now, one thing I always mention, and again, talking about players at Trent's side of the game. When you look back at the 2000s, I mean, the NBA really had a few of those players that did that. Obviously, Kobe did it. Shaquille O'Neal was in the league. You could even make an argument for Allen Iverson to a somewhat lesser extent, Vince Carter in Toronto. But I think as years go on, there was only three guys that everybody seemed to know in the NBA from the 90s to now. And of course, was Michael, LeBron, and Kobe. And I'd say Shaq, too. You could make a legit argument for Shaq, but... I think Shaq had to work for it a lot harder than... And, like, I think for the three you mentioned, it came naturally. And for Kobe, what's wonderful about Kobe is the extra work he did on top of that. But for Shaq, he had to work hard. And uh, a lot of times it didn't quite work with things like Shaq, Fu, Shazam. His rap career. His rap career. But, yeah, I mean, it's just one of these things where... And it's weird, like I said, I was not a basketball fan, but I was oddly affected by his death because when I woke up yesterday morning and I saw the news trending on Twitter, my first reaction was, okay, look, there, there's probably no truth to this because TMZ was the first one to report on it. And you're like, okay, listen, are we really going to believe TMZ when it comes to somebody's death? And I'm like, okay, I'll wait until maybe ESPN or the NBA or somebody official within sports announces it. And when that got announced my heart sank. I was just like, wow. Like, and it's weird because we've never really had a sports icon. The level of Kobe Bryant that has passed away. I can't even remember. I mean, it's been such a long time. And I mean, for us being hockey fans, obviously everybody was sad about the deaths of Jean Beliveau and Stan Mikita, but those guys were not trendsetters of hockey the way Kobe was for basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think hockey really only has one maybe two if you count Crosby but yeah I don't I think it's kind of interesting because I think as far as like the sports megastar Michael Jordan may very well be the first one maybe Larry Bird maybe uh Magic maybe Magic or probably the furthest back maybe the first megastar ever was Babe Ruth it's true, but I mean, the thing is with those kind of athletes like Larry and Magic and Babe is that younger generations don't seem to connect with them the same way they did with Kobe, the same way they do with LeBron nowadays because, you know, you have YouTube. You have YouTube, you've watched his career grow up, and you're just like, this guy was an amazing player. And a couple of things I really noted on Twitter, and there was two people in particular I thought of when I heard about the death of Kobe. One of them, of course, was Shaq. As I mentioned, I mean, Shaq versus Kobe, 
was probably the biggest sports rivalry of the 20, I would say the 2000s, outside of maybe T.O. versus Donovan McNabb in Philly. But the thing was is that Donovan and T.O. was only really a rivalry for maybe a year when they were teammates. Kobe and Shaq were rivals until they ended up retiring at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, as you said, like when I was younger, I was definitely outside the basketball bubble, but even I knew about Kobe versus Shaq. Yeah, it was really... Th- and one final thing I will talk about, and of course we were talking about, like I said, the trends, trendsetter and transcending the game. Yesterday I was at the corner store, or in the corner, and I was talking to the guy behind the counter. He had the Spurs and Raptors game on. And the, I didn't even say hello. The first comment in my mouth was, so how many times did they mention Kobe in the broadcast? And they said, uh, give or take, about 200. Kind of half-jokingly, right? But then we got into a little discussion about, you know, the impact he had and the fact that even if you didn't watch basketball, you knew who Kobe Bryant was. And I, I talked to a coworker of mine today who is from the Philippines, and she said, you know, Kobe Bryant in Asia was like next level big there. Well, he was one of the guys who, and this is kind of a, a thing that you see sometimes discussed, is that I know this is the case for China, and I think it's the case for Japan as well. They like big personalities, and uh, it's a tweet thread I saw a few years back where it was uh, some, uh, an American expat who lives in China was get, giving all the names, the nicknames that the Chinese gave to players. And Kobe had like five because again, it's that he, he's a winner with a big personality. So he was bigger than big and he was probably a big reason why the NBA was really able to establish itself in China while the NHL hasn't really been able to despite their best efforts. But I also think for the NBA that you've had Asian stars that have played the NBA, most notably Yang Ming and to a lesser extent, Jeremy Lin. I mean, yeah, but the most popular players are still Kobe and LeBron because it's big personality who win. So we just wanted to give our quick thoughts and our condolences to the Bryant family. We're actually just going to take a minute here of silence for the life and death of Kobe Bryant. Okay, so let's go on with this episode, Tim. Today's episode is Season 3, Episode 16, in chronological order. Episode 70, the Daniel Taylor episode. So, just a little backstory about Daniel Taylor. He was drafted 221st overall by the Los Angeles Kings in 2004. He played two seasons, split between the ECHL and AHL, before making his debut with the Los Angeles Kings for the 07-08 season. He later went on to play one game for the Ottawa Senators in the 17-18 season, recording one loss with an 8-8-2 save percentage. He is currently playing for HC Minsk Dynamo of the KHL, which I will mention right here, right now, the second leading scorer of all time for Minsk Dynamo, Duncan BC native, Matt Ellison. Really? That's kind of cool. It is. So let's quickly talk about next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is season three, episode 17 in chronological order, episode 71. Now we've got two players on the board. We've got Nick Felino and Chris Tierney. Wait, we have a real poll this week? We do have an actual poll this week. 
However, real players? The, the, the poll next week's not even going to be non-existent because it's going to be the Thomas Shabbat episode, number 72. Yeah, I love how it's like we didn't even pretend to have memories of Danny Taylor. Well, you know what? My one memory of Danny Taylor, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I mentioned this on last week's episode, Tim. We actually covered that game in our very first season. We did. And it was a bizarre game because the poor guy, he had a shutout bid for the first half of the game, and then all of a sudden the wheels fell off. Then again, it was the 2017-2018 Ottawa Senators, so the reels, wheels were never really on. I'm honestly surprised that he's still trucking. That is so true. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. But you know what? Hey, if, if your body still says, hey, I can still go, and you know, you're still up for it, I say go for it. Yeah, no kidding. And if someone wants to have you, go for it. So, Tim, talking about last week's episode, let's quickly talk a little bit about that because overall, I thought it actually was a pretty good episode. Now, given that you and I had a pretty good discussion and to a lesser extent argument regarding the Zach Cassie and Matthew DeChuck incident, overall, how did you feel our episode turned out last week? Honestly, I had a ton of fun doing it. Like, it was a like a lot of good back and forth and uh, we got quite a bit out of it. We did. I was very, very happy how it turned out overall. Yeah, and I thought I thought our game discussion was pretty good too, although I think we did spend quite a bit of time on uh, Cassie and Kachuk. That is true, but in fairness, that was the big, big news story of the week. Oh, do you think it's going to get even better this week? Or do you think it's done? No, honestly, it's... No, I don't think so. Although we do have some really good stories to talk about on top of the hour, but we'll save that for when we get to it, Tim. Fantastic. So let's quickly talk about our week. Now, we did spend eight or so minutes, give or take, talking about the passing of Kobe Bryant yesterday. But overall, outside of that, how was your week, Tim? Honestly, didn't do a lot, of, as I said at the top. Mostly just... Uh... I made a roast this weekend. That was kind of cool. But, uh, yep, pretty boring. Awesome. So, actually, at work this week, it was Spirit Week for the kids. And one thing that I actually really noted is that in the student center, they had the newest Super Smash Brothers hooked up to the TV all week. Damn. I know. That's cool. I didn't even get a chance to play it. I was so mad. My boss, who's a gamer, he's just like, man, if we're not busy, we should go down there and play it. And I was like, oh, you know that I'm in. Well, you know he just cursed it, too. I know, and never, ever it did happen, which is very disappointing. But you know what? I think the last time I... I'm trying to remember the last time I played Smash Bros. I think it was when... Give or take? I think it was when you were here, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas prior, prior. Yeah, and I brought the Switch with me. Yeah, yeah, and you and I played some Smash Bros. in your mom and dad's basement. Yeah, yeah. Fun stuff. That was a really good time, man. Overall... I got nothing really to comment. I mean, it's been a busy week. We were short-staffed. We did some theme dinners. Overall, went pretty good. So, yeah, can't really complain. Can't ask for more than that. Yeah. Now, with that being said, Tim, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, you know for Top of the Hour how much I hate starting off. And unfortunately, 
This top of the hour is no exception. Former NHL defenseman John Gibson passed away at the age of 60. Gibson, drafted 71st overall in the 1979 draft by the LA Kings, went on to play parts of three NHL seasons between the Los Angeles Kings, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Winnipeg Jets, recording two assists in 48 career games. So we're really not going to comment anything about this gentleman because he didn't have much of a career. But the one reason I'm bringing this up is because our bot Adam from the Three Goes and Wait Four Goes podcast DM'd me on Twitter, and he mentioned this. And I love the fact he put in his note. He says, "I know how much you hate talking about deaths on top of the hour." <laughs> but well, the other one is he's kind of local to Adam too, so worth mentioning. That is true, and actually, he was telling me that he was the friends of his dad's. That's cool. Yeah. So, Tim, we actually don't have much in the way of news, but the NHL is giving us some news to talk about. So we're going to start off with the Chicago Blackhawks. Their forward, Patrick Kane, became the 10th American in NHL history to record 1,000 points during their game versus the Winnipeg Jets on January 19th. Kane, drafted first overall by Chicago in 2007, has recorded 381 goals, 626 for 1,001 points, in 954 games at the time of this recording. You know, when I think about it, last week we talked very heavily about the 2010 Blackhawks teams. Patrick Kane, without a doubt, was one of the big reasons that they ended up winning three Stanley Cups in the end. Well, I'd say between him and Marion Hosa, yeah. Because as you're saying, like, the first Stanley Cup, anti-Niami, that was a weird final where goaltending just decide not to be a thing. And then you have high-powered offense coming out of Kane, backed up by Hosa with Taves in his best form. And then he had uh, Duncan Keith and Seabrook before he died. Sorry, before he uh, completely disappeared. Yeah, and you also can't forget the the bottom six guys. Like the, well, I guess Patrick Kane, or not Patrick Kane, Patrick Sharp's not a bottom six player, but, you know, you had players like him, you had Dustin Bufflin, you had a lot of, key players that really stepped up their game in those playoff runs. For sure. So this is actually a really weird news story, Tim, and I think this is an actually a really good discussion point. Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchand is no longer considered a repeat offender under the terms of the CBA since he has gone two years without getting suspended. According to the CBA, written up by the NHL and NHLPA during the 2012-13 lockout, the status of repeat offender would be redetermined every 18 months, on a rolling basis. Yeah, no, I think when you hear repeat offender, I don't think most people really clue into the fact that it can come off. And that's funny because, and I don't remember how many weeks ago now, we talked about Corey Perry being suspended at the outdoor game, and I noted that he's not a repeat offender, and I'm thinking to myself, like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I would have sworn he's been suspended at some time. Now, given that... Brad Marchand is now no longer considered a repeat offender. I'm thinking with Corey Perry, maybe this is the exact same thing, where if he had gotten suspended in the past, maybe it's been redetermined since it's been over two years. That's probably the same thing, right? Yeah. Although I will say, though, is it really hard to believe Brad Marchand has gone two years without getting suspended? Because remember when he first came in the NHL, he was slew-footing people, and, you know, he was... Not like Matt Cook injuring people, but he was hurting people and just being a fucking rat out there, and now he's gone two years without being suspended? Like, isn't yeah, that just kind of wild? Weird? I know, it's weird, right? 
Like, it doesn't, something doesn't seem right about that to me. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in that span of time, didn't he look a dude? He did look a dude, but I don't think that was uh, suspendable, though, Tim. That's a sentence you just said. I know. I, I never thought those words would ever come out of my mouth, Tim, but... You here. cannot get suspended from the NHL for licking someone. The more you know. I know. It's a shame that we don't have, like, sound effects and shit with the show, because I could honestly add the the more you know sound effect to it. Honestly, we're better off without it. It's true. Let's go on to our next story. Canada Post unveiled a new stand featuring the 1904 Halifax Yurkias, the winners of the Colored Hockey Championship. The championship and team were part of the Colored Hockey League, an all-black men's hockey league founded in 1895 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, organized by black Baptists and black intellectuals designed as a way to attract young black men to Sunday worship with the promise of a recreational hockey match between the rival churches following religious services. Now, given That's kind of cool. It is very cool, but the thing is, I was very on the fence whether I should add this to Top of the Hour because... This season, I've been very, very good about only sticking to NHL stories. But given that this is the All-Star Weekend and there really wasn't much in the way of news, I felt we should I would have included this because I found this very fascinating. I went onto Google and I Googled this because I had never, ever knew, known about this. And I actually found it quite fascinating that kind of in the, in the same way down in the United States with the Negro baseball league where it was an all black league that maybe wasn't I don't I don't want to say they weren't like top notch level, but they had their own league that they could do and I feel this is kind of the same way, only for hockey in Canada and religion. Well, yeah, well I think it's it's one of the things that went back in the day in Canada segregation may not have been law of the land, but it happened. It is, but so, I, but I feel that that kind of stuff now, obviously, I'm not a uh, scholar of anything, but I know that here in Canada, the sort of kind of segregation was more prone towards First Nations more than um, black Black Canadians. Well, that's just because we didn't have as many black Canadians, because the only black Canadians we really got were slaves or freedmen that, that came up with the Loyalists. Well, and because slavery as an institution wasn't... Like, the further north you went slavery as an institution became less common. And uh, then the, in the British Empire, slavery was outlawed before it was in the U.S., right? So it's just one of the things that it was definitely more prominent amongst African-Americans, sorry, I mean amongst Aboriginals. That's just because we didn't really have that large of an African-Canadian population to do that. But there were a lot of examples of segregation in Canada, especially in the Halifax area when you look into places like Pockwalk or Africville, where you basically have segregation. I'm, I don't know enough about the history to know if it was 100% by design, but when you have a place called Africville in Halifax, you know there was some sort of segregation going on. So, Tim, the NHL and NHL.com actually named a few moments, games, and goals of the decade. So we're going to start off with the NHL 100 has been named the NHL moment of the decade for the 2010s. The NHL 100 was a list honoring the 100 greatest NHL players of all time, chosen by the NHL.com and NHL.com international staff members. Although, you know, unless your name was, you know, 
Gimla, Thornton, Malkin, players like that. <laughs> but honestly, you know, and I was thinking about this, this was actually a very, very cool thing that the NHL did with the NHL 100, and they unveiled w- one player a day for their 100 list. Now, I know a lot of people are very polarized regarding the list, given that players like Evgeny Malkin, Joe Thornton, Jerome Gimla were not included in the list. But overall, I was fairly happy with the list overall, so I have no complaints about it. But I do have to ask, how do you feel about this one being the NHL moment of the decade? You know, they could have picked an actual gameplay moment. The NHL turning 100 is kind of cool, even if it took a bunch of detours to get there. But I don't know. But I guess the hard thing with this decade is, and we were talking about it last, I think it was last episode, where it was hard to really think of uh, a team for the decade. And I think for, like, absolute moment of the decade, it is pretty hard to think of as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few moments that I can think of. Obviously, the very first Heritage Classic game in Edmonton between the Oilers and the Montreal Canadiens. But then I realized that happened in 2003. That didn't happen in the 2010s. But given that we had all the outdoor games in the 2010s, we had it in Boston, Chicago, Detroit, Toronto, Ottawa, cities like that. I'm amazed that they didn't pick one of those or even certain moments like Sidney Crosby returning from his concussion issues or even the Golden Goal. But given that I understand the Golden Goal because that was international, not in the NHL. So I, yeah, I guess I'm, because I think, I'm fine with it personally. I have nothing against it, but I, I don't know. I just couldn't think of any other example that I would have put instead of this one. Yeah, because it's like I feel like Vancouver versus Boston, if that last game had gone to overtime, I think that would have generated it because I don't think the – I can't recall if there were many seven-game final series either to really get that like big holy crap moment. Yes, yeah, what really is there? Because, like, I think as far as, like, hockey in general, I think it either would have been, yeah, the, I think both of them would have been Olympic hockey, I honestly. Either, yeah, the golden goal Crosby scored to win the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver or Germany pushing, uh, like, the goal that Germany scored to push Russia to overtime for the finals in uh, Pyeongchang. Yeah, I, I can see that. But given that, like I said, this is... For the NHL, not international. That's probably why they didn't pick it. Yeah. This decade's been kind of sterile now that I now you really think about well, it. Well, you know what? There were a lot of great moments in the 2010s, and I'll give a couple of examples here in the next couple of stories we'll talk about. Let's go into our next story, though. The NHL has named the 2014 Winter Classic at Michigan Stadium between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Detroit Red Wings as the NHL event of the decade for the 2010s. Said event was played in front of over 105,000 people. So you know what's funny? Again, going back to last week, we were talking so heavily about the 2010 Blackhawks and all the players and all the moments they've had. I'm amazed none of their outdoor games were picked, and this one was. Because honestly, like the only outdoor game I could probably I've probably watched three outdoor games from start to finish. There was the one at Fenway Park in 2010, 
There was the one they did at BC Place between the Sens and the Canucks and obviously the NHL 100 Classic in Ottawa. So, I don't know. Maybe I was just kind of a little bit surprised that they went with this one overall. Maybe it was because of the attendance record that they set at Michigan Stadium. That's probably it. And you have two original six teams as well, so I guess that's probably why the NHL goes for it. I can't even remember. I didn't watch the game, so I don't know if it was... I can't miss game, to be perfectly honest. No, I have nothing really to comment about it. But the next story, I bet you anything, we got a thing or two to talk about this. The NHL has named Game 7 between the Boston Bruins and Toronto Maple Leafs in 2013 as the game of the decade. The game is notable as Toronto had a 4-1 lead late in the third period, only for Boston to storm back to win it in overtime. So, Tim... You know how normally with these stories we would talk about what a moment it was and all the great stuff? Can I pull an audible? Because I brought a clip in. Can we just play the clip instead? Is it the one I think it is? Yes. All right. Go for it. Roll it. Bergeron going past the goal. Sagan sets up in front. Now Sagan at the post on the cycle. Right off of Reimer. The stick save. Boychuk's drive. Rattles around in front. Marshawn to Bergeron. The drive save. God, the warm, fuzzy feelings, eh, Tim? God, it just seems like yesterday that that game happened and we all got very excited being Ottawa Senators fans. I still can't believe that game happened. Yeah, you know what? I bet you anything, the Leaf fans definitely can't believe that happened either. Yeah, well, it's just such a bizarre game because it was Boston was down through, like, and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the 09-010 playoffs, Boston did something similar. Boston, I think they had a... No, Boston had a 3 to nothing lead in the series versus Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. And they did the reverse sweep. Philadelphia came back to win four straight. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty ridiculous, honestly. Yeah. But overall... Actually, I do want to ask about this game, Tim. Now, overall, given the amount of games that were played in the 2010s, would you agree with this one being the game of the decade? It's probably the game that gets quoted the most. And it's interesting, right? Because the 2013 Bruins playoff run, I think a lot of people don't realize what a big moment that was for Boston at that moment because just literally days prior to this moment happening, the Boston Marathon bombing happened. And so Boston was in a state of grieving. And they looked at their sports teams as an escape. They looked at their teams for an uplift. And the one thing I remember of 2013 is not only did the Bar- did the Boston Bruins go to the Stanley Cup Finals, the Boston Red Sox went to the World Series and won it. Yeah, and it's a sh- it's one of those things where as much as it's one of those things where it's a bit sad Boston didn't win, but that series was a lot closer than it looked. Only two of the games were two goal deficits. 
The other games went to overtime, despite being a 4-2 Boston loss. And it was kind of amazing, because Nathan Horton was still able to play. Was I thought Nathan Horton was with the Blue Jackets by this time. Nope, he tried to play one more season in Boston after that. But, uh, yeah, it's a shame that he was never the same after that 2011, 20, sorry, 2011 finals. I know, it's true. He's kind of one of those players that... I don't want to say you kind of wonder what would have happened with him if he hadn't gotten injured. But I think at that time of his career, you kind of saw where his career was going to be, where he was a solid 50 to 60 point guy in the National Hockey League. You know, solid, maybe second line player. But I don't want to say he's one of those players that you, you wonder what if, because I think you already knew what was going on. But the one thing I remember about 2013, and obviously we were now we're talking about the Game 7 between Boston trying to be in the Game of the Decade, a lot of people tend to forget nowadays, in the finals, Boston ended up blowing, I think it was like a 2-1 to one lead in the deciding game in the Stanley Cup Finals where Chicago scored twice in two minutes and won the cup from them. Yeah. Because that one easily could have gone right to Game 7 as well. It could have been. And this was actually the playoff series where Patrice Bergeron became one of my favorite players currently in the NHL. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Like, my cousin's a big Bruins fan, and after they scored, I was in the kitchen doing something. He called me, and I, I didn't have his number on my phone. I'm talking to him. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm thinking to myself, I, I have no idea who the fuck this t guy is. And he kind of slurred his word or said something. I was like, oh, fuck, it's Tom, man. What's going on? And he's like, oh, yeah, this is great. It's fucking amazing. Can't believe they won. Because when they were up, when Toronto went up 4-1, to one, I turned the game off. I turned the game off. I went to do something else. And I was looking at my phone. Okay, 4-2. All right, cool. All right, I guess they lost 4-2. Look at my phone a few minutes later. 4-3. Holy fuck, something's, something's not going on here. So I turned the game on, and they tied it 4-4. And I was like, oh, my God, are they really going to win it? Are they going to win it? And they won it. And I literally jumped four, four to five feet off the ground. I was so excited that they knocked out Toronto. And then we went well, on like a week later to knock off Montreal. I don't think there has been a set, sorry, a hockey map game memory as funny as that one. And I think it's interesting because one of the biggest sense moments of the decade was in that playoff round as well with the Eric Griva hit on Lars Eller. I know. And that was a series where Montreal legitimately could have beaten us if Carey Price had not gotten injured in that. And I always maintain, if he had been healthy, we would have never got out of the first round against Montreal, as we saw two years later in 2015. I don't know. At the same time, though, like, Ottawa chased Carey Price out of his own building. True, but you often wonder how much in multiple playoff series for this, in multiple times in the Sens versus Montreal series where Carey Price gives up five, gives up five or six and gets chased out of the building. Because remember the next time we played them in 2015, it was a one-goal game on a questionable Subban goal that put Montreal over Toronto, sorry, over Ottawa. Yeah, I never ever came to fucking terms with that one. 
So, Tim, I feel like we should just head on into the final story of the night. The NHL has named Patrick Kane's 2010 Stanley Cup winner as the goal of the decade for the 2010s. Said goal occurred in overtime of Game 6 between the Blackhawks and Philadelphia Flyers, which would jumpstart the Blackhawks dynasty in the 2010s. So, I'm going to say something kind of controversial here, Tim. And I know maybe some people aren't going to agree with this, but... I don't wholeheartedly agree with this moment because honestly, I feel that they picked this moment to be, it was a very safe pick. And honestly, I think of the 2010s, there's a number of moments you could have pit as a goal. You had Alex Burrow slaying the dragon in 2011. You had Jarrett Stoll knocking off at Vancouver in 2012. Hell, if you wanted to go with Patrick Kangle, you could have gone the series winner against LA in 2013. Martin St. Louis scoring the game winner just a day or two after his mom passed away, Sidney Crosby coming back from his concussion issues, everything that you can, every kind of goal you can think of of the last decade. And yet they went with this one. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't necessarily agree with this one, Tim. Well, and that's the hard thing because, and I think we talked about this a lot is that was a freaking weird Stanley cup final where it was just a puck fest. Like, Game 6 was 4-3 in overtime. Game 5-7-4. Game 4-5-3. Game 3-4-3. The only game that was a low-scoring affair was Game 2. There's probably even better goals in that series. There was, but when I when I read this story, and like I said, I was thinking about the Alex Burroughs goal, Crosby returning. Hell, as Senator fans, you could even look to... Clark MacArthur. Clark MacArthur. You can look at Jean-Gabriel Pajot scoring four goals against the Rangers. Hell, how about Jean-Gabriel Pajot's first career game, first career hat-trick? Oh, that was a good one. And talking about a moment, going back a few stories here, talking about the moment of the decade, a good one that I don't think kind of gets lost in the shelf when we think of all the great moments, what about Craig Anderson, first game back after his wife had cancer? Yeah. And there's just, or even just Manny Malhotra coming back from that eye injury. Like, there's just a lot of, like, how the hell did this person come back from that this decade? So, yeah, overall, like, when you think of this moment, like, would you necessarily agree with this one being the goal of the decade? Or do you feel the NHL could or should have gone with another goal? Ah, it's tough. Because on actually watching the goal, it is a pretty cool goal. <laughs> it is a pretty cool goal, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I, when I think of all the great goals of the decade, I don't immediately think of this one. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't know or I don't recognize the significance of the goal. As I said, like it jump-started the Blackhawks dynasty of the 2010s and all the success they had. But for me, there was just sort of something not there. It's just like I, I don't get it. Like... What, what am I not... What's not connecting with me with this goal? I guess the other hard thing is... I think that was actually the... Until this year, the 2019 playoffs, that was the only Game 7 we had. And the games... Sorry, that was the only Game... For the whole decade, that's the only Game 7 overtime. Yeah. Actually, speaking of another moment, they could have put as moment of the decade. What about... 
the Tampa Bay Lightning getting swept in four after winning 62 games. Well, if they're going for embarrassments. But at the same time, you could also argue, I know it's not a goal, but if you want to go for a storyline of the season, how about the Blues? Ooh, that could have been a good one, Tim. Like salvaging a season, then shaking off, I think, the longest Stanley Cup drought at the time. But I guess it doesn't help that, like, a bunch of those games were blowouts. It doesn't, but I think the overall feel-good story of the Blues is that much greater. But you can also look at the Vegas Golden Knights in their expansion year, too, right? They, they went from a team where I said on the show that they would be one game below 500. They went on to win 52 or 53 games and made the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. Or, Honestly, or Ovechkin even winning his first cup. Can Ovi's party be part of the best moments? God, I missed the summer of Ovi. That was just so great. I like when he woke up. There's a photo of him in bed with the cup. I know. That's just so great. So great. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this episode. Now, usually this is the time of the episode where we would say it's time to move on to the games, but we don't have any games to talk about. Instead, we're actually going to have an extended version of Discussion Point because we're actually going to talk about the All-Star Game and the All-Star Game Weekend in Discussion Point. Now, with that being said, Tim, we're going to take a really quick break here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast, and we will return with Discussion Point. Coming right back. Hey, guys, this is Alex Metzger from the Eminem Hockey Podcast, and I am here with the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, guys, we are back here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast. So, Tim, before the break, we mentioned that this was the All-Star Game and the All-Star Game weekend this past weekend. And I feel that, honestly, you and I were talking a little bit about this before we hit record about the game and the reactions on Twitter were mostly negative. So I felt that this is a pretty good thing to talk about for our segment called Discussion Point. So for those that don't know, Discussion Point is the segment where Tim and I will find something on Twitter, whether it's a news story or a storyline or something of note that I feel that we can bring up as a really good segment. So the segment we want to talk about, given the NHL All-Star Game and the weekend itself, we can need to talk about if we were in charge of the All-Star Game weekend, what would we change or what would we get? Now, I've got a few things that i got to mention right off the top. But before I do that, Tim, overall, what was your reaction to everybody talking about the All-Star Game on Twitter? It's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, I know, it was boring. I'm sad that it was boring, but it is what it is. And from what I was reading from uh, even on The Athletic, people were saying uh, this year it felt like the players gave even a less of even less of a shit than previous years, which just added to the boringness of it. Yeah, it's really tough, right? Because it's, like we said in the past, it's a glorified pawn hockey game, and I would be very interested to see what the TV ratings were for the All-Star game, because one thing that people have noted over the last couple of years with the All-Star game, Tim, is that the TV ratings have steadily declined from year to year to year. Yeah, and it's it's hard because it's like the players don't care. And even when you do try to do new stuff, like they had the trick shot thing this year, which in theory was cool, but it turns out that A, they didn't design it very well. So 
there was no real strategy to the game. They were just launching pucks at the same at the gateway arch. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's tough because you're kind of in that weird place where the players obviously don't want to do it because like everyone else gets a break. They like there's probably a lot of factors where it's clear they don't give a shit. But it seems like one of those things where I, you see more people on Twitter just considering just trashing the whole thing. Yeah, and I don't necessarily agree with trashing it because. I do real. I do understand the reasoning behind the All Star Game is that you want to showcase your best players versus your best players. But somebody on Twitter says it was so boring that honestly, they just they don't even care. Like the best players went to the All Star Game, and they really went half speed. And somebody on Twitter pointed out. He says, you know, when Anthony Duclair was the best player at the All Star, one of the best players at the All Star Game, you know that you're just half assing it. Yeah, no offense to Anthony Declare. No, Anthony Declare, he had a fantastic game with four, with not three goals. He had uh, three goals, and also bringing to Chuck got it, uh, I think an assist or two in that game too. Yeah, so it's like if you're there every time, yeah, I imagine like the allure wears off pretty quick. Yeah. So actually, I have a couple of notes here and I, of things that I would change or things that I would add to the All Star game and the weekend itself. The big thing for me that I've noticed over the last couple of years is that the game itself, they're kind of splitting the periods or whatever, two divisions. Like They'll have like two divisions against each other. And this is going to be my first note. My note, get rid of the divisions within game and just have two separate conferences. Now, one comment you actually made on the show a few weeks ago, Tim, Talking about the NFL and the Pro Bowl. Now, you mentioned that the Pro Bowl winner determines which conference gets home field advantage at the Super Bowl. Now, I feel that if you really want the All-Star game to have a little more more competitiveness you or you want the All-Star game to mean something, I feel that they should do that too. Do what the NFL does with the Pro Bowl winner determining which conference gets home field advantage in the Super Bowl. My solution with this is whichever conference wins the All-Star game will open the Stanley Cup Finals as well as being the conference that will host the next year's All-Star Game. That's, I don't know, I I feel like that completely negates the work that a high-seeded team did to earn that right in the first place. So I think that's a bit of a bridge too far because like with the Pro Bowl, it's one game on a neutral field. It's a bit of an advantage, but not a huge one. And to take away home field advantage, from the higher seed is kind of bullshit. I understand people would disagree with this note or they think, well, like you were saying, this is, well, this is just bullshit. You should be the higher seed, whatever. But I'm thinking more strictly for the All-Star game alone. And you are correct that it's a one-game playoff in the NFL, whereas the NHL, you have seven games. So I kind of see that logic, but I think if you really want the All-Star game to be more compelling or more competitive or whatever, this is an idea that you could implement, whether or not it actually works. Maybe. I guess it's... uh, I wonder what... Because it's hard because it's like, what meaningful thing could you win that doesn't have too big of an impact? And that's a very difficult question. That's true, that's true. So another note I actually have, and this note actually came from the rapper Drake. 
Now, you remember back in 2016, like, he did this whole thing where he was campaigning to bring the NBA All-Star game to Toronto in 2016, which actually happened. One note I have is that I feel that the All-Star game should have celebrity ambassadors. Now, the way you could do it is that for whichever city said celebrity or sports figure or pop culture icon is an ambassador for the city, they should honestly try and campaign to bring that to that specific city. I mean, and I got a couple examples. Like, say, San Jose, for example. You can get Steph Curry or Jimmy Garoppolo to do it. Dallas, you can get Mark Cuban. Arizona, you can get Larry Fitzgerald. St. Louis, you can get John Hamm. Colorado, you can get the guys from South Park. Or even for Toronto, you can get, say, Justin Bieber to be the celebrity ambassador. Because if you do that, well, now you say, oh, okay, I know who John Hamm is. I know who Justin Bieber is. I know who these people are. And they're trying to get me interested in an all-star game. Yeah. I think that's just basic marketing the NHL should be doing. But at the same time, sadly, it doesn't improve the product on the ice. It doesn't. But, you know, I feel from a marketing standpoint, if you have a celebrity ambassador... Uh, Unless you put them on the ice. This was something, and I did flirt with this idea of adding it in my notes, is that maybe don't have them in the game itself. Maybe have them in the skills competition. Because, you know, some of these guys, like Steph Curry or Jimmy Garoppolo, are not hockey players. A lot of them don't probably don't know how to skate, right? Whereas, one thing I noticed, and regardless of what you think of him musically or as, as a person or whatever... There's always videos of Justin Bieber on Instagram and on Twitter of him skating with the Leaves, and he's a pretty damn good skater, all things considered. I think he would be a pretty good candidate, say, if Toronto tried to get the NHL Ulster game to come to Toronto and you had him playing in that game. That's true, that's true. What I was mostly thinking is, and this is kind of where I'm really wondering, and we'll get to it when I talk about it, is like, if the people watching don't care, if the people playing don't care, is there even really having a point to the All-Star game? Is there a way that we can like make the skills competition into something more? Because I think that's the avenue where the fun stuff happens. And then have like the side stuff, like the mascot games and stuff like that, as silly intermission stuff. Okay, like, how, how, do you imp- how do you uh, plan on implementing this, Tim? That's what I'm interested in doing. So I'm thinking, like, the skills competition, you keep stuff like hardest shot, fastest skater, but then I think you can take, like, the... You had the stunt shooting competition this time around, which was just shooting at targets. I think you could really build that into something more similar to the NBA dunk contest where you have, I guess, like... You can even do this interdivisionally where you have one division and give them maybe a day or so beforehand to come up with stuff where they have to come up with absurd trick shots with props so like knock an apple off of a stuffed animal's head or shoot in between two puck bags to get into the net or stuff like that okay because you can implement some very very creative things yeah let the players come up with it and make it kind of like a game of horse that could be interesting. I honestly, I think that's maybe that's something the NHL could look into, Tim. Because and then the loser has, yeah, and then you have all the losers have to do what the winner have to do, what the winners say within reason, on TV. Yeah, that could be interesting. Quite honestly, yeah, like, I think that would be very fun for 
fan engagement, Tim. Yeah, and then, like, you could have a game where it's, like, local celebrities versus mascots. And the money goes to a, a local charity. Not gonna lie, Tim. I actually like it. Yeah, so it's like, no one gives a shit about the game. Amp up everything else. And I think that's really kind of my criticism of the whole weekend is they have no idea who they're marketing to. And they're trying to spread so wide of a net, they end up catching no one. Yeah, and given that Green Day was the musical act for the initial All-Star game, going back to what I was saying about Justin Bieber is that Obviously, his demographic is teenage girls. And I understand that teenage girls are not going to be all that interested in hockey. But I feel that if you have somebody like Justin Bieber who does have that social media following, who is very marketable, who so many people know, maybe they can try and tap into a market which has not been conquered yet by the NHL. But at the same time, I think you got to appeal to your core if you want the ratings too. You can't ignore your bread and butter. So it's like, yeah, if you're trying to bring in Bieber, have him with something that, yeah, it's teen boy. What are teen guys into nowadays? Are they into like Little Nas X and stuff like that? Little Nas X? Um, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I don't uh... know. I know they're not into Green Day. I can tell you fucking that. No. Although that song, what the hell is it called? Fire Aim Ready or whatever they use for the NBC broadcast. It's actually not that bad of a song to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, but Zoomers don't care. I, I know they don't, but... Actually, another thing I was thinking about, I didn't include it in my notes... The only notes. people who really care is Gen X and some millennials. It's, Let's be real. It's true, but... Another thing I was thinking of with TV ratings declining year after year after year, what if the NHL went a different revenue or a different avenue by implementing streaming services like YouTube or Twitch? Yo, you'd be funny. If you had Twitch plays All-Star Game. Oh, yeah, and it would just be like GG. Well, you'd let them make you'd let them make line changes. God, that would be such a f- mindfuck to a lot of people because the NHL would be like, I'm no so teams. confused. You have no teams. It's just like, okay, that guy on, that guy on. I could, just, yeah, it probably wouldn't fucking work. It wouldn't work. That's the funny. only thing I'm thinking of, right? Because, honestly, the NHL would be looking like, what the hell is going on here? This game is just line changes. I know, these guys are on for like 12 seconds and they're off. You'd have to have some sort of cooldown mechanic. True. But no, honestly, I think that would be a very interesting avenue to go with so many people not having television anymore and streaming being so popular nowadays is that I think this would be a very, very good thing for the NHL to go into because... With the streaming services, like I said, Twitch and YouTube and whatever kind of streaming services out there, I think that honestly, you would tap into the younger markets because that's where they're using. They're not watching TV anymore. They're on YouTube and Twitch. Maybe something you could do is you could make it incentive based. Like maybe if you get enough pe- people to agree to specific targets, the player has to meet them. And if they fail, they then have to do something like the ice bucket challenge or a cinnamon challenge or something like that. And put it on social media. That could be interesting. I mean, honestly, but I think with those kind of trends, like the Ice Bucket Challenge or the Simmon Challenge, the one thing I think people would kind of push it too far is if they say, yo, you know what the NHL should do? Tide Pods. And we're like, no, you're fucking stupid. Get out of here. 
No, we let the NHL set it up beforehand. Like, Mako can like, spin his head on a baseball bat 20 times, then try to skate a lap. Why do I see my? Why do I see guys like Ovechkin hurting themselves doing that? Oh, that's true. We can't get these guys hurt. Uh, so funny. Oh, we could have them try to chug like a four gallon of milk. Oh God, they're gonna get so sick. <laughs> Actually, you know what I would do is get them to chug a whole two liter of Coke, and then try and skate a lap. Then. Oh. Yeah, I know. It's bad. So one, uh, another note I have regarding the marketing of the games, and talking that we were talking about celebrity ambassadors, another thing I would do is that I feel that cities should campaign, much like what Drake did for 2016 for the Raptors in the NBA All-Star Game, I feel cities should campaign to bring the All-Star Game to their city and let the fans vote on it. So here's what I was thinking. You get the NHL to pick four teams from whichever division won the previous or, or whichever conference won the previous All-Star Games. Now, how you determine said cities could be done by, say, region or by division. Like, say, by example, you, you or say the Western Conference wins it. And now, obviously, you can go the Southwest. So you can have three California teams, Phoenix and, Arizona, and um, Vegas. You can have all five of those teams have a creative marketing campaign on why they should get the all-star game now two two uh, ideas i had now this is more for the eastern conference two cities i had one is for boston and the other is for new york for the rangers so i'll talk quickly about the boston one because i feel a creative marketing campaign should be the video would start with having ken casey and al Barr from the dropkick murphys being put in charge of selecting their ambassador and they're sitting at the table and they're going, God, like all these applicants suck. We haven't really got a good one. All right, you know, let's let's talk to this last guy. And Tom Brady comes in, who which they're completely oblivious to that it's Tom Brady right in front of them. And they, they go on to talk about, or they go on to comment that, you know, the guys, or this guy notes that many of the things on the resume, like born in California, attended Michigan, worked in the state of Michigan, or state of uh, Massachusetts for over 20 years much like Tom Brady, but they also commenting, they almost comment on how the Patriots should have never let Jimmy Garoppolo go, or they would have won those two Super Bowls, versus that scrub quarterback, nobody remembers from the New York Giants, that Drew Bledsoe was still at quarterback. <laughs> and so they do, however, hire Tom as he was the best of the bunch, and Al hands him a, a Bruins jersey, only for Tom to reply with, it's okay guys, I brought a jersey with me, and he puts on a Tom Brady patch jersey and walks out the door. And the video will end with L looking at Ken going, you don't think that was? And Ken just replies with, nah, not a chance. Jeez. So that was one of them. And, you know, and then, of course, at the very end of the video, be like, hey, this is Tom Brady. I want you to vote to bring the All-Star game to, Toronto, to Boston. And then the next video would be for New York. And it's a 30-second video with some guy sitting at his kitchen island watching that Bruins video, which... The only clip that you see of the moment is where the guys in the Dropkick Murphys are talking about that scrub quarterback comment when it's made, only to have the video pause and the guy revealed is Eli Manning, who was the quarterback for the Giants, who just looks at the camera and says, I remember that guy and smiles. Oh, jeez. I think that would be fun. It would be very fun, and I feel that you could have fan engagement doing that because if you do this creative marketing campaign, much like what the NHL did 
post-lockout, like, remember all the funny commercials that they did in, like, 2006, 2007? Like, wouldn't that be nice to bring that kind of style of campaigning back to the NHL? Man, that Steam commercial was greasy. Oh, my God, that was so awful. Oh, it was great. But, yeah, we need more of that. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Yeah, it would be, and you know what? It would be very memorable because you could get celebrities from whichever city that they're campaigning and they would be the celebrity ambassador, right? And so, like I was saying, and we'll go back here, like say you're doing it for San Jose, you can have Steph Curry and Jimmy Garoppolo arguing about, no, I'm the greatest athlete in the city. No, I'm the greatest. And Joe Montana walks out of nowhere and goes, guys, please. And he has the four Super Bowls with him. Oh, damn. And then, of course, you know, you have Mark Cuban for Dallas talking about, you know, how, what a great state of, you know, Texas is and all the great shit. And, you know, I think even if you did Colorado, like you have Trey Parker and Matt Snow for South Park, you could do like a South Park marketing campaign where you have the four main characters of the show talking about, you know, here this city's getting it instead of Colorado and they do a whole thing about it. Although, again, the hard thing is, is we do have to keep it family friendly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, who else would they get for Colorado? Legit. Peyton Manning? I don't know. Mm, no, Peyton Manning's more... Well, no. I don't know. I wouldn't say Peyton. John Elway, maybe, but... I don't know. True. Um. Yeah, I guess, like, we've kind of gone through most of what I was thinking, because it was just kind of... No one gives a shit. So let's amp it up to fun. I guess the other thing is, if this really is for the kids, why does it end at 11 Eastern? That's way too late. Yeah, I, I don't know. I Honestly, I feel if you're doing it more family-friendly, do it in the early afternoon. Get where all the families can go, all of the kids can go, and they're not up until 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast. Yeah, watching a game no one really cares about. Exactly. So two more notes I actually have to make, and... One thing that I noted from the All-Star game is that they had a couple of ringers in the skills competition, and one of them, of course, was Al McKinnis in the hardest shot, who, by the way, he's been out of the league for, like, I think 13 years. He still has a slap shot of 100 miles per hour. Hey, the radar gun was off. Well, thanks for ruining it for me, Tim. Thanks, thanks, thanks yeah, for that. Yeah, because they forgot to turn it on for shot next mm. but another one is that and you were talking about the art shooting they also brought brett hall into it so another so an idea i actually had about is the skills competition day why don't they have an alumni game as a part of the weekend similar to what the hockey hall of fame does for the weekend of the induction ceremony where they have a hall of fame hockey game why don't they have an, an alumni game the same day of the skills competition prior to the all-star game do two conferences, one player per NHL team. So think about it. On the Western Conference, you can have either, I don't know, say you have Anaheim or Arizona or whatever teams. You can bring back guys like Paul Correa. You could bring whoever for the Coyotes, whoever for the Canucks, whoever for Buffalo, Boston, whatever. And you would, I understandably, you wouldn't necessarily get that younger market because a lot of these players have been probably out of the league in their lifetime. But I think for older fans... That would be like, oh, okay, it would be kind of a neat niche 
thing to see, bringing back all these old timers to the game. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something that should be part of the ticket. I'd almost watch that over the existing All-Star game. But then again, I guess I'm, it's pretty well established. I'm pretty down on the whole thing. That's true. And one comment that we made about this last week before... Actually, yeah, one comment we made last week when we were mentioning this is that you made the comment about the EA All-Legends teams. And you said that, you know, you can do this and not have it all fucky and be like, how come this guy's on this team? Or what, what the hell's going on with this team? And why is Ottawa so shit of all the players that we have? Yeah. But one thing, one note I have to make about this, Tim, is with players who play for a number of teams, what team do you put them with? Like, I don't use example. What about Wayne Gretzky? What about Mark Messier? What about players like that? Who would you put? Who would you put Gretzky with? Do you put him with Edmonton? Do you put him with LA? Do you put him with, well, definitely not St. Louis, but definitely Edmonton or LA you can put. What about Mark Messier? You can have him play for either the Oilers or the Rangers as well. Have Mark Messier choose. I think that's pretty easy. Eh, that's fair. Honestly, I, I think this would be a cool idea. I, I, don't under, I don't know how it would go over, given that you know, you're watching a lot of guys who have been retired for so many years play in a fun sort of pickup game. But I, I think it's an interesting idea that maybe the NHL should look into for the skills competition game. Yeah, well, I think yeah, the same could be said about like the Sens alumni game. I know, like the Sens alumni game was pretty good because they did bring back a lot of the legends minus a few exceptions, Ray Emery, Danny Healy, Marion Hossa. Well, Hossa was still playing, so that's kind of understandable. But they didn't bring back Emery. They didn't bring back Heatley. Spezza was still in the league. Hosa was still in the league, so you couldn't bring guys like that back, but you were able to bring Alfredson back, Redden back, Bonk, Bonk back. yet, Alexi Yashin, Alex Diag, Patrick Laleem. You were able to bring these guys back, and I feel this is a very cool way to do it for the NHL as well. Yeah, I guess the other thing you could do is you could time limit it. So you have guys who can still skate. Yeah, I feel it would be very interesting. Even another comment is that what if you had the alumni games even in the skills competition themselves? Like, as you know, just, well, yeah. think about because Ray Bork in '96 hit four for four with the most accurate shot. Yeah, dude was old at the time. Yeah, so I think that'd be a very interesting thing that they could probably imp implement. This is one I wholeheartedly think they should implement. Is that? Regardless if you play in the All-Star game, like say you were Alex Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin told the NHL, he says, listen, like I'm I'm banged up. I can't, I don't want to play in the All-Star game. And he got suspended for it. Austin Matthews said the exact same thing. He didn't get suspended. So I honestly, I feel that in order to get these players not suspended, why don't you make the All-Star game weekend festivities mandatory? even if they don't play in the All-Star game. Like I, and I understand the logic behind the NHL being upset with the players who refuse to play in the All-Star game because, you know, you have all these people that are attending the game and they're traveling from farther distances to see these players play in an All-Star game. So I, I understand it. I don't agree with suspending them because you know what? They told you in advance, listen, we're not going. Like, we're hurt. We can't play. Like, and that's what Matthews did. That's what Ovechkin did. That's what Fleury did. You know, 
a lot of these players are saying, listen, like, we can't go. So you send one of their teammates. Now, I believe that if a player is injured and can't play in the game, that's fine. However, like I said, people are traveling from all over to see said players in the game. So I say, regardless if you play in the game or not, make it mandatory to attend the festivities. Meet the fans. Sign autographs. Just make a public appearance just to know and make your presence felt at the games. Honestly, I think that's fair. Actually, and to Austin Matthews' credit, I think he did that. Yes, he did, because there was the uh, picture on Instagram of Steve Dangle. Him, he had the fucking blazer on with Matthews, and I'm just like, God, I hate Matthews right now. I don't, mind. I don't God, mind. I hate Steve Dangle. I don't mind Steve. You know, I don't mind Steve Dangle, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I like him because he's one of the few Leaf fans that doesn't just dogpile on the Sens whenever they get a chance. Like, I find it pretty, pretty neutral, all things considered. Like, if you watch his outside of the Leafs contact he does on his YouTube channel, he's pretty fair with the comments he makes about said teams, and he doesn't just say, oh, this team's a relative Leafs, they automatically suck. I think that's uh, about, we my problem with the Steve Dangle, as I've always said, is just, he's just Brian, inferior Brian. Oh, he's Brian 5 or 6, but not unhinged, is what you're saying. Yeah. But here's the thing, sorry, going back to saying about celebrity ambassadors, what would Ottawa do in that scenario? Would they get someone like Brian 5 or 6 to be their ambassador? Because everybody on social media knows who Brian 5 or 6 is nowadays given that he had the Eric Carlson rant and everything that he's done on social media over the last couple of years. But I often wonder, one thing in particular is, would the NHL go for that? Go for a online personality like Brian Fever 6? You know, I think as time creeps on, they probably will end up doing it. Yeah, because you look at what the Ottawa Senators did post-Carlson trade, and this is like when the really dark, cloud was hanging over the team and that's when the team brought in Brian Fiverr 6 and brought in the Sens call-ups as their social media ambassadors right and they said hey listen let's bring them in let's get them to say good things about us and the Sens call-ups did game did their podcast at games Brian Fiverr 6 got tickets to the games so maybe this would be an interesting thing if say Ottawa had an ambassador maybe Brian Fiverr 6 could be that guy yeah is Alanis Morissette still considered popular? Uh, no, not really. No. Honestly, Is this just the episode where Tim reveals the fact that he's out of touch with the kids? Yeah. Am I so out of touch? No. Oh. It's the children, children who are wrong. So fucking true. But, I don't know, Ottawa would be weird because, honestly, there's only a handful of people I can think of. Alanis Morissette I can think of. Matthew Perry, a friend's fame. Like, he's a big sense. He's from Ottawa. I, th- I think he's from Ottawa. Or is it big- he's a big sense fan for sure. And Tom the Green. The Prime Minister. And Tom Green. That's not true. Justin Trudeau is a Montreal Canadiens fan, and you know that, Tim. It's true. <sighs> Bastard. Bastard! <clears throat> Excuse me. Your house is in Ottawa now. I know. You know I- the rules. I went to his home. He did not allow me in, but they allowed a hockey team and a hockey game to be played on this front line. Nice. I always wonder, did the, the Prime Minister doesn't live at uh, at that Parliament Hill, does he? Or do they have a separate house? They live at 21 Sussex Drive. 
Thank you, Tim. I've always wondered that myself. I always thought it was kind of like with... No, there's no living what? quarters on Parliament Hill. Oh, okay. That's that's what I was thinking of, man. Because Just I was thinking... like there's no living quarters in the Capitol building in Washington. Really? Yeah, no. So uh, some Congress people, I believe, I believe there's congressional offices, center offices in the Capitol building, but most of the building is dedicated for the House and the Senate. Like, where they actually sit and talk. Because huh. a lot of Senate and congressional offices are nearby. Shit, how about that, Tim? I never even knew that. I always thought, assumed it was kind of like what the royal family does, where they have living quarters in Buckingham Palace, but with you know, Peace Tower and uh, Capitol Hill. Well, I mean, to be fair, like, in center block, not, like, yeah, in Parliament Hill, there's not even enough space for offices for all of the senators or parliamentarians. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on the things that you would change or add to the All-Star Game and the All-Star Game weekend? No. Okay, so do you just want to head on to the close for another evening? Yeah, yeah. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording them for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M9 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, WATE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about top of the hour or things that you would add or change to the all-star game and all-star game weekend choose an email third life plug sunscatch at gmail.com so tim next week's episode we've got four games to talk about i was gonna say we have games i was gonna say flocking games but no we've got four games to talk about we've got the game tonight versus the new jersey doubles tuesday we are in buffalo to play the sabers friday we're at home to play the washington capitals and saturday we are going back to war tim we are heading back to Toronto for another edition of Third Leg Plug is War. I can't believe we've only played Toronto once this season. I know, it's hard to believe, right? Because honestly, last season we had already played them a couple of times by this point in the season. Yeah, and uh, Leafs fans were already well acquainted with uh, the fastest routes out of Ottawa. It's true. So just a little update on the game from tonight. Currently, at the end of the second period, it is 2-1 New Jersey Devils. The goals were scored by Tyler Ennis from the Senators with five shots. Brady Tuchuk with one assist and Drake Matherson with one assist. And Marcus Hogberg already has 27 saves. Jesus fucking Christ. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jesse. Go Sens, guys. Woo!